Hi, folks. This week on the podcast, we're talking about professionalism. It's kind of a vague topic, and it has very specific meaning when we think about it in the pre-health context. So this week, our host, Kimberly Johnson, is going to be breaking this apart, explaining what's meant, and giving you some practical tips on how to adjust your behaviors and perspectives in this environment to be the most professional health professional that you can be. Thanks for joining us this week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. Welcome to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. Our goal is to share information our students need to succeed, connect them with resources, answer questions, and make the stressful process just a little easier. Our episodes will vary in length from a little over five minutes to around an hour. Tune into our shorts on your walk between classes, and when you have more time, you can enjoy one of our longer episodes. Hi, everyone. I'm Kimberly Johnson. I am here by myself today. John Moses Bronson is out on an adventure without me, Um, but that's okay. I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, which is professionalism, and I can't wait to get started. So as I indicated before, professionalism is one of my favorite topics, and the reason it's one of my favorite topics is not because I'm sort of old-fashioned and stiff and stuck up and boring, but because I want each and every one of you to have a really strong foundation and understanding of what professional behavior is so that as you're proceeding into this next stage of your life and you're encountering all of these new situations, you feel confident that you have the tools to navigate those new situations successfully. Hopefully, it gives you a confidence boost so that it takes out a little bit of those nerves when it comes to your first class in medical school or that first clinical encounter where you're really speaking for yourself or you're maybe being observed by your preceptor. So I want you to know the basis of how we approach professional scenarios so that you have that confidence and that ability to just walk in and be successful right off the bat, at least from this perspective, let's say. So I'm going to break this down into a couple of different areas. Um, Communication, dress and our physical presentation, timeliness, and ethics. But really overall, what I want you to take away from this is that you want to be a reliable person. You want to be someone who is truthful in their interactions with others. Um, I'm not going to go too far into ethics because we actually get to speak to Michelle Meckel, um, who is an expert in bioethics in the next coming weeks. And so I'm going to leave that to the experts and maybe we'll go through some little scenarios and vignettes So with Michelle, so that you get an idea of what ethical scenarios might present themselves as you go into clinical practice. So... I want you to think of the admissions committee, of your interviewers, of your professors, as your future bosses, as your future mentors. And 
your behavior with them should reflect that. So until we get an indication from them that we can be a little more casual, we really need to be respectful of what is typical professional behavior. And then thinking about your future um, fellow students or student colleagues, these are the individuals that you're going to be working with day to day, probably for the next several decades of your career. And so having really good relationships with all of them, um, good, reliable communication, um, that's really important. So let's start with communication. This covers presentations, this covers emails, phone calls. Think about the person, the audience, and how you want to address them. Let's think about salutations. Let's think about the content. Um, what sort of language is most appropriate for your audience? Um, if you are writing to someone who maybe is a in a t- sort of tangential field, but not in medicine or dentistry or your PA work itself, maybe you don't use so much technical jargon. Maybe you tone it down a little bit use more um, lay terms would be the correct word here. Think about if you have a lot of information that you need to convey, not putting it into big block paragraphs, but maybe breaking it down into a couple of different sections, adding a few bullet points or bolding a text or highlighting it if you know that they really need to pay attention to it. So perhaps that's a date and time and location because you know that everybody, when they first open up that email, they're going to be thinking, okay, I just need bare bones. Where do I need to show up? on what day, at what time, Um, because they already know what's expected of them. And so you just want to make sure that bit of information pops out. There could be somebody else on that email chain who's never done this before. And so they're going to be really looking for those more specific instructions that you're maybe breaking down into sections or bullet points. So really think about the message that you're conveying. Um, Same thing happens on the phone, you know, When you pick up the phone for a phone call, maybe you're calling a patient or uh, calling in a consult or speaking with, you know, insurance folks, start off by identifying yourself first and the reason that you're calling. And then you sort of go slowly into the content of what this call is about. And then you're going to thank them for their time. Um, give them any follow-up details or contact information that they need to do whatever it is that you've asked of them. And then you're going to verify that they have everything that they need and that they understand. And then you can sort of close that and hang up. Does that make sense? So I'm thinking, hi, this is Kimberly Johnson. I am a pre-health advisor here at Penn State. I was just calling to confirm that our reservation for XYZ event is correct. Here's our request number. I give them the request number, they look it up, they say, in our records it shows blah, 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 and blah. And I say, great, that's exactly what we've requested. Thank you for confirming that. I just wanna verify what time you'll be bringing those supplies over. 
they give the time that they're going to come over. I confirm the location of where we're going to meet up so that there's no snafu there. And then I say, that's fantastic. In case you need to reach me day of, here is my telephone number. Is there a number that I can reach you? Once we've established that, I say, thank you for your time. I'm glad we're able to confirm these details. I'll see you at 10 o'clock on this day at this location. Have a wonderful day. We've covered all of our bases. We've been respectful. We've confirmed information on both ends. And then we've made sure that the follow-up information is there as well. So, um, I think that most of you are really capable of this. It's sometimes it's that we don't have to repeat these things very often. And so sometimes we're just feeling a little bit rusty. So it's helpful to walk through that conversation in our heads, sort of have a template that we rely on, practice it for a second, and then make our phone call. Or read through our email a couple of times and make sure if I don't have all the background information and I'm seeing this for the first time, is everything here that needs to be here? I want to move on to another quick element here that I don't think that needs much elaboration, but that's timeliness. Um, some of us are chronically early. Some of us are running just barely on time. And others of us, it's just a real struggle to get anywhere on time. I want to discuss what on time means, because I think it's helpful if we don't set on time as meaning walking in the door at the appointed time for something to start, but getting there maybe 10 minutes early. And getting there 10 minutes early means not walking in the door frazzled and confused and still drinking our coffee and this, that, and the other, but it means walking in the door ready to actually get going. So giving yourself time to take off your coat, say good morning to everyone, already have had your breakfast and your coffee, so that as the actual start time approaches, no one's sitting there waiting for you to get settled, but everyone's already settled and ready to begin. The reason that we do this is because we want to be respectful of everyone's obligations. Um, if other people are there ready to go on time, it's not fair to them if you're sort of still trying to shake off sleep and remember your name. Um, now, of course, there's exceptions. Class ran over. That's understandable. Or there was traffic. And if that's the case, we go back to the first thing we talked about, which is communication. Sending a message. Hi, everyone. I'm on my way. I'm so sorry I'm running behind. I should be there in X number of minutes. And then once you walk in the door, really getting ready to face whatever task it is as quickly as possible. The other part of timeliness is if something has a end time, ending on time. <laughs> um, you don't know who else in the room has scheduled the rest of their day according to this end time. They might have something else that they have to be at in 20 minutes, and they want to make sure that they're not running late for that next event. Um, maybe somebody's got to run and have some lunch or pick up their kid from school. So we want to make sure that we have planned out the event or the meeting in such a way that we can address all of the required items in a timely manner and finish at the appointed time. As for dress, I think this is a little bit more of a complex topic. Um, and I will never tell you what to wear or how to present yourself because I think that that's a very personal thing. But 
I think that it can be helpful to look around the room and see how others are presenting themselves or call ahead. Say you're going through your clinical rotations and you're starting pediatrics after the weekend. Contact the office that you're going to be working in and say, hey, I wonder if you have a dress code or if you would like me to wear my white coat or if I should leave that at home. You know, maybe if you're going into pediatrics, it's less common to wear your white coat because you're trying to make some connections with kids and you don't want to scare them by looking too official. Um, Maybe it is a specialty where there is a bit more formality and they would like you to wear your white coat and a bit more formal attire. It's better to know that going in and then you can think about what is my own personal style? What am I comfortable in? And how do I sort of merge these expectations with how I present myself and the clothes that I have um, and sort of find the best balance here? I think walking in to a new scenario, wearing sort of the sorts of things that are typical in that setting can give you a little bit of a boost of confidence as well. Just like how when we're planning an outing with friends, we kind of want to know, am I dressing up today or are we just going completely casual? Um, Are we just going to hang out and watch a movie and eat takeout in somebody's house? Can I just wear like my yoga pants or my sweatpants and sweatshirt? You know, how casual is this? Or is there some possibility that we're going to be going out and doing something else? And if we are, how do I like to dress in that situation? Um, What is my more with the more dressed up version of myself? Also take into consideration that we can dress up um, in a variety of different ways. Dressing up shouldn't necessarily be an expensive thing. If you're looking to just start your professional wardrobe and you're worried about the cost, look at consignment shops and thrift shops. Ask around. You might have some friends who have some stuff that uh, they're not using anymore because they've had an interview and been successful. And so they find that they're not really using that suit as much as they thought they would. Or um, sometimes there's even organizations that have closets of professional wear that you can take from if you're trying to get your own professional wardrobe started. And then if you're able after that point, you can personalize it a little bit more, but it never hurts to just find out what your local resources are for starting a professional wardrobe on a little more of a budget um, because honestly that's sort of a more realistic approach for most of us and sometimes it's helpful to go into some of these new situations you know clinicals or going to class for the day well what is everybody else wearing um, maybe you come a little more formally on the first day and then you kind of get a, a, the lay of the land and you think okay is this what the expectation is going to be every day or or maybe I'm only going to wear this when we have this kind of class. And then when we have these other um, learning curriculum settings, I can wear something that's slightly different, more casual than this. So get a sense of what the expectations are, what other people are doing, and then you can find the balance of what you actually need to own yourself after that point. So don't run out and buy a whole bunch of things because you might find out that you're actually only going to wear those, say, let you know, once a month or twice a year. So um, let's not jump the gun there.
I don't know that I have a whole lot else to offer on this topic. If you ever are uncertain about what professional expectations are, don't be afraid to ask. I have never found a situation in which someone was displeased that I had asked about what the attire should be or who I would be meeting with and what their role is. Just ask. Get all the information that you need so that you can make the best possible impression. The other thing is that professionalism is a really, really, really hard thing for admissions folks to evaluate on your written application, right? It's it's not like there's a grade on a transcript for this, although perhaps our grades are indicative of our le- level of professionalism or how well we handle responsibility, communication with our professors, um, you know, our ability to show up for class on time and do the work that is asked of us. Letters of recommendation from supervisors, um, your PI maybe from research or someone that you've worked with, you know, if you maybe have a summer job, for example, those letters of recommendation might touch on your professionalism. But I think what I'm saying here is that you, you won't have those letters of recommendation that touch on your professionalism if you haven't gone out and gotten those experiences to begin with. So think about as you prepare for your application cycle, what experiences do you have that have built your depth of understanding of what professional behavior is? What experiences do you have that you can rely upon in the future when you're feeling a little bit out of your depth? So when you walk into the room with your very first patient by yourself, where is that confidence coming from, right? We know you've got that basic science background. You've had your wonderful mentors and professors, but that can only carry you so far. What lived experience do you bring to the table that's going to allow you to show up and just connect with people? And when you have those experiences and not just superficial, like I can show up for class, not that that's superficial, but you know, that's limited in its scope. When we can layer these experiences, so we have them from paid work and we have them from going out and doing some community work or maybe study abroad or um, working in a lab in undergrad, or maybe it's uh, being in LA and having to organize study groups and respond to emails from students as well as from the TA or from the professor and doing stuff in person versus Zoom and all of these different things. We're we're layering on all of these different experiences that will provide the foundation for you to walk into all of these new scenarios and feel confident in knowing how to manage them. I really, really can't wait to continue this conversation with you in a couple of weeks when we have Michelle Meckel in and we can talk a little bit more about bioethics. I feel like I could have given some examples um, about patient encounters, but I didn't want to encroach on Michelle's territory here. So 
Um, we're going to go into a little more detail about professionalism and it, how it overlaps with bioethics in a couple of weeks. So I'm really looking forward to that. Come chat with me here in the office anytime about professionalism. I'm excited about it. I know that this is a big topic for medical schools and they are evaluating you throughout your four years on your professional behavior. And you can also face some sort of official consequences for a lack of professional behavior. So it's really important that you start practicing professionalism early and that you really have ingrained in yourself that it's okay to ask when you don't know. They would always rather answer your questions on what's appropriate rather than have you misstep in some official capacity. So remember that even though we've already maybe gotten into medical school or dental school or PA school, uh, the learning is still happening. They are your mentors. They are there to support you and they're going to help you grow in this particular topic just like all the other health and science related topics that you're going to be covering. I think that's all I've got. Uh, next time, John will be back with me. So we'll be a full team again. And I can't wait for what comes next. The Penn State Prehealth Podcast is a production of the Prehealth Advising Office and the Everly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Prehealth Advising Team. The views, opinions, and advice shared during the podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system.